Ever thought that financial compliance and accountancy was rather dull and uninteresting? Eyes ever glazed over when being told about the latest audit requirements or anti-money laundering legislation? Well, on Agenda tonight, we have a man who speaks about international finance, sanctions on Russian oligarchs, and financial secrecy who will have you on the edge of your seats. Graham Barrow was guest speaker at last week's Positive Action Group meeting and he found time to talk to me about dark money and how it influences international finance. The dark money files. We define it as any money flowing through the financial system that you can't be certain what its provenance is, where it came from. So, And we think that's a very important part of financial uh, institutions and, and the finance system generally is you should always know where money comes from. So if you can't tell, uh, we call it dark money. And myself and my business partner, Ray Blake, um, started a company because we help, we advise banks on how to deal with some of those challenges. And we do a podcast which explains to a general audience some of the kind of inner workings of dark money and, and how criminals and corrupt actors seek to mask their criminal behaviour through using dark money in the finance system. Dark money, just because you don't know where it's come from, doesn't mean to say that it's problem money, like um, no. I- illegally acquired money. No, although sadly a lot of it is, mm. Phil. But, but it, no, it doesn't. It dark simply because you, you can't say with any certainty. And most banks will never know for certain. I mean, it's their job to say there's a sufficient uncertainty that we're going to now file a what's called a suspicious activity report. We're going to alert our regulator or our law enforcement that we're not certain where this money's come from and therefore it should probably be investigated. So from a, a, a practical and pragmatic point of view, uh, people in the Isle of Man on the whole, that their, their main concern about banks is it seems that uh, you have to sign in blood, you have to prove not, uh, all kinds of things about yourself to be able to open a bank account. Mm-hmm. So presumably on, on the one hand, banks are overly um, cautious when it comes to, to, to yeah. relatively m- minor things like a personal bank account. Um, and then on the other hand, the uh, well, I don't know, can you tell, could, yeah. what is the scale of the dark so, money? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. It, it is absolutely enormous. And, and you've just pinpointed one of the real weaknesses in the system. We're supposed to apply what's known as a risk-based approach. So you and I don't represent any real risk to the banks at all, but they are overzealous in their application of that desire to, to for us to verify every part of our entire lives in order to get a bank account. Whereas if we had several million pounds, they would probably be far less zealous because they really want your money. And it's one of the real peculiarities of financial crime, this sort of money laundering, is because the banks, and I'm not saying they do this deliberately, but the banks make money from transacting criminal funds. Now, that's not true if they're lending you money. They're really careful about who they lend money to, because if you run away with it, they've lost their money. On the other hand, if you've got you know, £50 million of completely dodgy money, well, the bank are going to make some fees out of transacting that. So it's much harder for them to turn that away. So they, they probably make life much easier for the very wealthy than they do for the likes of you or me, sadly. And of course, one of the uh, the reasons that this sort of thing can almost become legitimised is because the banking system around the world 
uh, allows it to happen because it's basically everyone works to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. Maybe not everyone, but uh, uh, you know, the, it 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 does make it difficult. Uh, if you are, I imagine, if you were a chief executive of a bank, and you could see all your competitors are taking these fifty million deposits, uh, it must be yeah. difficult to turn that down. Um, yes, and, and very often the, the thing that causes them to reflect on the wisdom of their choices is when there's a major leak of, we've seen all sorts of leaks, the Panama Papers probably most famously, but, but others, um, and, and other stories appearing in the press, and or the regulator finds them several millions or hundreds of millions of pounds, dollars, euros, whatever. At that point, they tend to reflect on, well, maybe that wasn't quite such a good decision after all, but of course it's it's too late by then so you're absolutely right there is a intense competition for the business and we live in a very connected world these days so that business can come from anywhere and obviously very topically we're probably going to talk about Russia and that's been a major source of business for all of the financial institutions for some years which may cause them to have some regret over the next few months and years. And and now you've broached the subject uh, i mean it is very topical um, obviously with the appalling situation in ukraine um lots of well all, all the european countries isle of man has followed suit um have imposed sanctions on oligarchs mm. and uh, any sort of uh, uh, russian wealth uh, the, the, there are significant sanctions imposed um but I, I suppose it's difficult to know how much of the money um, that, that you're actually getting at. And presumably, um, people who are extraordinarily wealthy, like these people are, yep. are going to have a, a range of ways in which their money yes. becomes hidden. Yes, they are. And of course, a lot of their wealth isn't actually their wealth. Uh, if you believe in the circles that I move in, which are somewhat under the radar because I work with lots of journalists across the world Vladimir Putin is the wealthiest man in the world and yet there isn't a single asset as far as I know that's in his name there are a great many people surrounding him who are immensely wealthy but it's likely that some of that wealth a lot of that wealth is actually being held effectively on behalf of Putin and of course, even these people don't necessarily have their names on the paperwork. There are uh, a, a brothers, the, the, they're called Rottenberg, and they grew up with Putin. They were, they were judo part- partners. They have immense wealth all around the world, but, but I know that a great deal of that wealth is not directly in their names. It's in the names of proxies, and mostly in the names of companies who are then owned by proxies. So, you know, there can be three or four steps removed from being able to be identified simply by the layers of complexity they add between the money and themselves. So the idea of sanctions, I, I don't want to sound like a, 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 a naysayer, but I think they are more token than they are effective. Seizing yachts is good fun. I mean, that, that really hurts. But, but actually getting hold of their money is going to be very difficult. Again, you know, people will say, "Well, who's who's this this guy? He's coming coming over to talk to the Positive Action Group. What does he know about about all of this?" So yeah. perhaps if you, if you could explain a little bit about your background. Yes. Um, this didn't start out as a plan. Um, I, I worked for Deutsche Bank. I, I mean, I provide. I'm a consultant, so I provide services to banks, but uh, around protecting the bank from dealing with criminal funds. So it is part of my day job. But I also got drawn into uh, a much deeper level because um, I worked at Deutsche Bank. They had a pretty bad time with Russia. They had these these things called Russian mirror trades, 
not worth going into them today, but effectively they got fined £163 million by the UK regulator for being bad boys. And I, I wrote a bit about this as far as I was able, because some of what I know I'm, I'm absolutely bound in confidentiality, but I wrote about it. And it so happened that some of what I wrote about crossed over to a story that came out of Estonia, of all places, with a bank called Danske Bank. And um, they managed to launder $235 billion out of Russia. And I worked with the journalists who wrote that story. I provided them with a lot of expertise around the UK companies, which were central to that money laundering. I, I mean, central to it. So when you get a reputation, A, for being pretty good about confidentiality um, and be um, and providing decent expertise around what on earth is going on here. I've subsequently worked on all of the major stories around Russian, Azerbaijani money. Um, so I get an insight, if you like, to the real world of money laundering. And it's it's very scary. What 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 is going to be the, the key theme of your talk to the Positive Action Group? It's about the fact that money launderers, criminal actors, corrupt um, actors from all around the world work uh, in networks. So no one country has the answer. It is about the connectivity between different countries. So here in the Isle of Man, here in the UK, but we could go Cyprus or Panama or New Zealand. They deliberately construct networks which are highly multi-jurisdictional because by doing that, you have two things. One is complexity. It is fiendishly difficult to follow the money. And two, you have lots of different countries, lots of different law enforcement, lots of different laws. And they they will leverage those um, things in order to make it nearly impossible to, to either bring them to justice or track down where the money came from in the first place. There is a lots of connections between the Isle of Man and the UK in terms of corporate activity. Lots of UK companies are owned by Isle of Man companies. We see examples. I saw one actually today. Um, a UK limited liability partnership, which is a special type of company, whose correspondence address was actually in Wales. It was a, a small little two-bedroom um, house in, a, in, a, in an estate in Wales. The, the two owners of this company were Russians living in Russia, but their, their correspondence address was Ramsey. Now, I can't find a single reason why a pair of Russians would incorporate a UK company registered to an address in London with a correspondence address for the company in Wales and a correspondence address for them here in Ramsey and the Isle of Man, other than they really want to make life difficult for anyone to follow what's going on. There's an address in London, it's genuinely true, that has 90,000 companies registered to it. Gosh. Um, and I know here in Athol Street there are, there are addresses that have many thousands of companies registered to them. You know, they do generate paperwork um, and the job of the people in those addresses is to forward it on to the right places, but they don't come and pick it up. And so many people in all of these jurisdictions have become, uh, well, I suppose the, the government uh, in, in the Isle of Man has become pretty dependent on the, on the income that the finance yeah. industry brings in. Uh, but uh, an awful lot of people have become very wealthy as a result of uh, the uh, the global financial system. And um, presumably, a fair proportion of, of of what goes on in in global the global financial world is legitimate and yep. and, and and reasonable. Yep. Um, so so I mean, is does anyone have a clue as to as to how much of the 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 dodgy element of dark yeah. money actually 
uh, what what proportion of the the global financial system that is? Well, there's there've been attempts. I mean, clearly because it is criminal, it is quite hard to measure. But but the United Nations have a have a subsidiary which is called the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, which is pretty self-explanatory. And they did do some research, and and the best that they could come up with was something between two and five percent of total global domestic product GDP was probably transnational criminal funds. Now, to put that into real terms, that is somewhere around $2 trillion. That's two and 12 zeros after it. So it's an enormous amount of money. And, and it, in the UK, the, the government thinks that somewhere around £180 billion pounds of criminal or corrupt money flows through the UK every year. So we are talking a huge amount of money. You're listening to Graham Barrow, co-director of The Dark Money Files. So knowing the vested interests, you know, the, the huge and significant vested interests that exist yeah. that would not wish to change a system which is working well in terms of producing uh, good incomes for many people or, or producing wealth for various states through, through taxation and yeah. the like... Um, how how can you change a system like this? Can I tell you a story? It's a real story, and it yep. actually comes from Ukraine. I have the great pleasure of knowing a, a gentleman called Oliver Bullo, who writes about um, about money laundering, and he went to Ukraine, and he interviewed this lady. Her name is Nina, and she has a daughter called Nonna, who has haemophilia. Ukraine is supposed to have a free at the point of access health service, but, but sadly, back in 2014, it was so corrupt that it had no money to treat um, Nonna's haemophilia. So they had to buy her drugs on the black market, which meant that they couldn't treat her proactively. They could only treat her if she cut herself. And because that was so expensive, Nonna was never allowed out of the house. She had to play indoors always. And the most dangerous time for her was at night. Um, so she always slept in her mum's arms because that way she couldn't fall out of bed. But the, the worst thing about this was that Nina had learnt to smell her daughter's blood. So if her daughter cut herself in the house, Nina, her mum, could smell the blood and she'd know that she needed to do it. Now, why? Because, because somebody at the top of the tree in the Ukrainian health service back in 2014 was stealing so much money that it was bankrupting the health service. What did they use that money for? To buy a house in London that they never lived in or a car that they never drove because they just wanted the trappings of wealth. So my question to anybody working in financial services is, do you want to in any way help those people who are stealing that money and depriving a little girl of the treatment she needs so that her mother didn't need to learn how to smell her blood? Because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about money on a piece of paper. We're not talking about a, a transaction on a bank statement. We're talking about real human victims of drug trafficking and human trafficking, organ trafficking. That's where the money comes from. Now we have a stark, I think, moral choice. Do we have a system that deprives these people of access to the financial system and buying luxury goods that you and I could only ever dream of? Or are we going to come up with a system that allows us to see what's going on and put a stop to that sort of thing? The argument that you've put there is, is a fantastic, uh, well, it's certainly a very, very powerful case. Um, but ultimately, decisions are taken based on uh, bottom line and yeah. uh, some, uh, you know, the, the head of one bank, yeah. if he decides, or she, he or she decides that they're they're um, they're going to do everything they can to remove the the five percent of global uh, uh, GDP that. Yeah. Um, that, that comes from this dodgy money, they're, they're going to cut all of that out of their bank. 
and then the others don't, yep. um, chances yep. are that fellow's uh, going to get sacked. True. I mean, it is the, you know, how do you eat an elephant? And it, it can only be one bite at a time. So at some point we have to, you know, start taking bites out of the elephant. But I think the other thing is, I think we need also to be realistic. I mean, if we if we remove that 5% of GDP globally instantly, we'd have the worst depression the world has ever seen. I think it's not realistic. But I think what we do need to do is to start having a really good conversation. Clearly, you can't just remove that from your economy here. I'm, you know, you have to be, this is the world of real politic, isn't it? it? You can't just live in a world of, well, we shouldn't do it and that's that. But we can't. We can't change things until we start having a conversation. And that conversation needs to be built around how can we change things without damaging our economy too badly? I think there's, there's going to be some impact because if some of this money is criminal, you can't just carry on dealing with it. But how do we do that change which allows us to, to do business ethically as well as building up new ways of doing business? So, But if we don't have the conversation, nothing will change. So what would your top three... Um, picks for for the Isle of Man government to be you know if if, if uh, the Treasury Minister the um, um, Enterprise Minister are, are listening in yes. and uh, considering yes indeed it it isn't right that uh, we we allow this uh, sort of money to, to to pass through the Isle of Man what are the the top three things that they could do to change I mean my top one would be transparency I, I spend uh, one of the things I'll be doing this evening is I'll I'll be going on to the UK Companies House live and we'll look at companies that were incorporated today and I'll point out there are some in there today which have extremely suspicious circumstances and why I think they're uh, suspicious. Now, the rejoinder is always, but Companies House don't do any checking on any of that, so anyone can incorporate a company in the UK and it doesn't matter. And I agree. But we can at least see that. And I would rather be in this position of having that full transparency, even if the information at the moment is poor, because we can do something about it, than having to take someone's word for the fact, oh, ours is fine. And in a way... It works very differently from any other sort of crime, financial crime, because most um, crime, the, the law enforcement rely on the public to be part of the process of reporting crime. So, so you see somebody's front door's been smashed in, you report, I think they've been burgled, you see somebody mugged in the street, you provide a witness statement, you let the police know. Corporate crime is one of the very few things where corporate registries say we will always respond to a request from the police for information, which is predicated on you find out there's a crime some other way. But actually, most of the evidence for criminal networks lies in the corporate registry. So keeping it hidden is a huge disadvantage to identifying criminal activity. And of course, the Isle of Man government's response to that would be, because um, I know I've, I've been there, uh, yeah. at least our register is more meaningful it, it's it's hidden but it's much more meaningful for 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 the um the the law enforcement people who who have the opportunity to view it um but your argument is that uh, the law enforcement people may not know what they're looking for that's exactly my argument and also they would only view it if they already had a prima facie reason to do so whereas my view is that if you have the right trained people who can interrogate that registry with an understanding of how criminal networks are put together, they will originate rather than react to criminal investigations. Now, a whole load of things follow from that is resourcing and all sorts of issues. But I think you're either going to do something about this or you accept that we can have another Russia where we, we posture about 
sanctioning people, but the reality is we haven't got a clue where the money is, and and frankly, our ability to do anything about it is is close to zero. So that's that was your top top pick. Yes. Um, I, I'd like to to ask you to to go for another two, not least because I know the Isle of Man government's line has been in the past, and maybe it'll change. I don't know. Um, we shouldn't be expected to jump on our own in this uh, regard. Um, so you know, the concern from the Alaman government was always uh, if we moved yep. and became not only a, a very tight and well-regulated uh, you know, list of companies, but also completely transparent, uh, we would lose a s- significant portion of our business overnight to our competitors who chose not to do that. Well, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, the UK is completely transparent, and yet we still have 3,500 companies every single day incorporated in the UK, a lot of which are suspicious. But what will happen is they will seek to find a way around it. But the other thing, if you're saying, well, we're going to lose our business if we become transparent, I think is saying something about the business that you're doing, which is it's only being done because of the secrecy that is afforded to them. And I think psychologically, people are actually impelled maybe or or encouraged to do things which they know morally are quite hard to defend if they never think they're going to have to defend them in the court of public opinion. So in a way that secrecy encourages people to use you for criminal endeavours because of the the, the, the secrecy you provide. Switzerland is, is, you know, I mean I've worked in Switzerland and there's, there's now a mentality in Switzerland and it's not criminal, it's just but we don't care where the money comes from. Our job is just to look after it because secrecy has always shielded them from public opprobrium. Yes, and, and I think it's a, a very compelling point that you make there. Um, but, of course, that you know, the, again, the, the, the response, uh, I, I know because I've, I've, I've heard it uh, many yeah. a time uh, when I was a minister, uh, is, well, of course, there are people who have good reason why they don't want people to know yes. about their personal affairs. And, um, uh, I, I, you know, th- th- yeah, th- I, th- that's a reasonable fine. argument. We have, a, we have a rule in the UK that, that actually your name can be withheld from the, from, it's called the person with significant control, which effectively means the owner of the company. But if you can present a compelling reason why publication of your name on the register will provide you with uh, security issues, it can be withheld. So I think it should be done on a, on a, on a values basis. It shouldn't just be a blanket, everyone gets secrecy. It is, we will, we will carry on providing that opportunity if you can show us compelling reasons why that secrecy should be maintained. If the reason is, I don't want people to know I'm, I'm avoiding paying VAT on the aeroplane because I'd find that embarrassing, well, tough. If it is, actually, my children are potentially subject to kidnap risk and there's a compelling... OK, let's have that conversation. But it just should be on an opt-in basis, not on an opt-out one. Are there any other things that the Isle of Man government could do? I, one of the things that's worked exceptionally well in the UK, we have a thing called JIMLIT, which is the Joint Money Laundering um, Intelligence Task Force. And it's, it's a combination of, of the regulator, law enforcement and the financial services industry just to talk about some of the issues and to have a forum in which, with, you know, with proper confidentiality in place, that they can talk openly about some of the challenges that they face. I, I honestly don't know whether you have a similar thing here in, in, in the island, but I would thoroughly recommend it. I think conversation and education 
you know, I haven't come here to say you should stop doing this tomorrow. That's ridiculous. You have an economy. People's livelihoods depend on it. But we have to manage that progression to a more transparent economy because then people can feel not just that they're doing a good job, but they, they are doing an ethical good job, which is even better. Graham makes some very compelling points and presents some significant challenges to the Isle of Man government's policy of allowing secrecy in our finance industry. Can the Isle of Man change without agreement of competitor jurisdictions? Does our need for a stable income source outweigh the need of the victims of dark money? I found Graham's arguments very persuasive, but would be interested to hear your views. This programme is available as a podcast which you can access from the Manx Radio website. Please get in touch with Phil Gorn at manxradio.com if you have any views or thoughts on the programme. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn. Goromayu. Thanks for listening. <laughs>